be okay, folks. They know who they have alongside of them. If you would take your Bibles and open them up to the Gospel of John, that's kind of where we'll start in a little while. So uh, have your Bibles ready there, uh, the Gospel of John. Last week we began our summer series. It's uh, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're looking at uh, what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. And we just introduced it last week. We um, looked primarily at the purpose of the Holy Spirit in His work in this world. And we boiled it down to one thing because that's what Jesus said. When He promised that He would send the Spirit, He said that the primary work of the Holy Spirit in all of the things He would do in this world would be to glorify Jesus, to give testimony of Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus, to remind people of what Jesus had taught, to present the message from Jesus to the world. All of the things that the Holy Spirit is to do in the world, Jesus said, is meant to bring glory to Him, not to the Holy Spirit. It's like... The Holy Spirit is content to be the power in the background. And everything He does, and He does wonderful things, which we'll talk about this summer, those things are meant to draw attention to Jesus and to bring glory to Him. So that's all we looked at in introducing the series, is to get in our minds this primary purpose of the Holy Spirit as He works in this world. Now, on Wednesdays at our adult teen study, we are also talking about the Holy Spirit, but extra things that won't be covered uh, on Sunday morning. And this Wednesday, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. And we're going to see how it was different. And so when I'm talking about um, the Holy Spirit's primary purpose in his work here on this earth, We're talking about from, I suppose you could say, Pentecost, Acts 2, through now. His work changed in a way from then on. So if you want to see how he worked in the Old Testament, come out Wednesday night. All right? That's my commercial. All right. (laughs) And there's no way you can... Click and, and skip that because I just gave it to you. All right. Um, I found a great way to watch Twins games. I just go on and in seven minutes I see the whole game on the Internet. No advertisements, no in-between pitch things, just every batter, every run, seven minutes. And all I got to do is every few minutes click skip ad. And so, but you can't. Click skip ad this morning. The commercial is Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Teens and adults get extra uh, communication, conversation, interaction, study on the Holy Spirit. So let's continue our study this morning. We're going to ask a very important question about the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. 
And Father, we ask that you would uh, reveal truth to us today about the Holy Spirit. And that it would impact us. And that we would know how to respond to this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question uh, this morning is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? And that is the right question to ask. The right question is not, what is the Holy Spirit? The right question is, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not an it. And the first thing we have to get in our minds, if it's not already there as we go through this series, is to refer to him as he. All right? So our question is, who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the Holy Spirit. Spirit comes from the Greek word pneuma. That word means breath, wind, spirit. Okay? A spirit is not physical. A spirit is not visible. He's the Holy Spirit. Holy from the word hagias. It means set apart. It means different from all other. So if he's the Holy Spirit, he's different from any other spirit. He's set apart from any other spirit. And because he's the Holy Spirit, he is perfect, sinless, totally pure. And so that's who we are talking about this summer, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. On your sheet, you'll notice that we're going to look at two things today as we answer the question, who is he? We're going to first see that he is a personal being. A personal being. And he's a personal being because the Bible presents the Holy Spirit with personal pronouns and personal attributes. Then we'll see that the Holy Spirit is a divine being. So he's a personal being. He's a divine being. And he's a divine being because of divine attributes and what I'm going to call divine interchange. And and you'll see what I mean by interchange when we get there. So the Holy Spirit, who is he? He's a personal being. He's a divine being. Let's start with personal being. Here in John chapter 14. And we'll be looking at these passages a lot this summer because there's a lot here that Jesus teaches about the Spirit. But just to point out this idea of personal pronouns to to try and drive this home. In uh, John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Notice all the personal pronouns Jesus uses in speaking of the Holy Spirit. Him, 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 he. Jesus uses personal pronouns. 
in referring to the Holy Spirit. We come to chapter 16. Jesus again, talking about the Holy Spirit, verse 13, 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me. Did you hear all the he's and the him? Jesus, as he speaks of the Holy Spirit, he speaks of the Spirit with personal pronouns. He does not say it. To Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a personal being. And we see it as Jesus uses that terminology. So here's a question that people would ask, and you might be thinking it right now, and it's a really good question. And the question is, how can a spirit be a person? How can we say a spirit is a personal being? It's a good question, one that we should think about. And so as we think about that question, let's toss out another question. What makes someone a person? What makes someone a person? Is it our physical body? Is that what makes us a person? If that's what makes us a person, then what happens if someone, for some reason, has a body part or two amputated? Do they become less of a person? If the physical body makes you a person, what if there are certain body parts missing? Less of a person because the physical body makes you a person? What about physical abilities? The ability to walk, the ability to talk, the ability to hear, the ability to smell. All of these physical abilities we have, do they make us a person? What if you have a person who can't hear? Less of a person? Someone who can't talk? Less of a person? Those last years, was my dad less of a person because function was going with his dementia? I mean, do physical abilities determine that you're a person? Do you have to be visible? To be a person. Is that the criteria? You are persons because I can see you. Is that the criteria? Well, let, let's, let's say that um, sitting right here in front of us is a coffin. And let's say you're all attending my funeral, all right? Now, isn't that a morbid thought this morning? But there's a coffin here, and you're attending my funeral, and as you take turns coming up during the viewal and the visitation, you're going to hear different comments 
of people standing here. And one of the comments that you're going to hear is something like this. He is with the Lord. He's in heaven today. He's with Jesus. And do you notice what pronouns people will be using to refer to me? Personal. He. But also, as they come and stand by my coffin, boy, this is weird to talk about this, but as they stand by my coffin, you're going to hear other statements like, wow, it really doesn't look like him. Or, they did a really good job with it. Do you notice they'll use the word it? What are they referring to? My body. But they're referring to it as an it. And yet in other comments, they're referring to me as a he. But where am I? I'm with Jesus. But they're talking about me as though I'm still a personal being. Right? But I'm with Jesus at that time in spirit. So what determines that someone is a personal being. It's not the physical body. It's not physical abilities. It's not being visible. It's the spirit that makes you a personal being. Wherever your spirit is, there you are. Whether your body is there or not. Turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. This is one of those verses, I don't know about you, if there are certain verses in the Bible that whenever you read them, you get the chills. Do you have verses like that in Scripture? This is one of the verses that whenever I read it, I get the chills. It's Genesis 2, verse 7. And... It's in the account of the creation of man, the first man. And it says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Now, I don't know all the details there, but I I picture God personally taking dust from the ground and forming this figure, this man. He formed man from the dust of the ground. So once he had formed that first man from the dust of the ground, can you see the dust of the ground? Is it visible? Yes, it is. And so I'm picturing this form of a man that God is creating from the dust. Very visible. Notice what he says next. He says he formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. He breathed into his nostrils what? The breath of life. The wind of life. The spirit of life. And what happened then when God did that? And the man became what? 
a living being. When did Adam become a living being? When he was formed from the dust and there was this visible creature? No, the text says he became a living being when God breathed into him the breath of life, the spirit of life. When does someone become a personal being? It has to do with the spirit, it sounds like. So the question was, can a spirit be a personal being? I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a physical body. The Holy Spirit doesn't have physical abilities. The Holy Spirit cannot be seen. Does that mean he's an it? Not a personal being. Apparently not, because Jesus calls him a he, a him. So we have the personal pronouns that Jesus uses, pointing to the Holy Spirit being a personal being. And then as you look through the New Testament and uh, look at the teaching about the Holy Spirit, you will find personal attributes given to him. And if you can write fast, here's a list of ones you'll find. And you're going to have to find them on your own. But in the New Testament, it says the Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit reminds. The Holy Spirit grieves. The Holy Spirit convinces. The Holy Spirit searches. The Holy Spirit chooses. The Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit encourages. The Holy Spirit groans. The Holy Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit communicates. As you read about the Holy Spirit, there are a number of personal attributes. Attributes that would be true of any person. But they are spoken of concerning the Holy Spirit. So, who is the Holy Spirit? First of all, I suggest he is a personal being. Because of Jesus using the personal pronouns and referring to him, and because Scripture speaks of him having all these personal attributes as he functions. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. Secondly, the Bible teaches he is a divine being. Personal being, divine being. And we see that in two ways. He has divine attributes. Attributes that are only true of the divine, of God. But they're true, according to Scripture, of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's look at some of those. Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was there. As Scripture opens up, revealing to us origins and how everything came to be. And in the second verse, we're told the Holy Spirit was there at creation. 
later in the chapter, verse 26. Then God said, let us, that's interesting, plural, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Who's he talking to? God is saying, let us make man. Let us make him in our image. Well, of course, that's one of the texts that we kind of begin with as we think through this idea in Scripture that seems to present what we call the Trinity, triunity, the Godhead, one God in three persons. Uh, But that's the very first indication that there must be something like that. I'm not here today to explain to you the Trinity, but that's one of the first places we begin to think there's something like that. The Holy Spirit was present at creation. Here's, here's a verse that's a little more clear on that. In the book of Job, the book of Job, verse 33, verse 4, Job 33, 4. It says, the Spirit of God has made me. Can it be any more clear than that? The Spirit of God has made me. The breath or the Spirit of the Almighty gives me life. It's interesting that the Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and earth. In Colossians and Hebrews it said Jesus created everything. And then we also see the Holy Spirit made me. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit is presented as creator. That's a divine attribute. Take a look at uh, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Starting in verse 7. The psalmist asked the question, where can I go from your spirit? Where, Where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, go east, you're there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, go west, you're there. Basically, he says, I can't get away from your spirit. So what's he saying about the spirit? Everywhere. Omnipresent. That's a divine quality. That's a divine attribute. And yet here it's spoken of concerning the spirit. Move to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we have verse 14. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God? Notice, the eternal spirit. Being eternal is a divine quality. It's only true of God. And yet here, the spirit is being referred to as eternal, a divine attribute. 
And then uh, one more. Uh, John 16. In John chapter 16, you'll notice in verse 13 that when Jesus speaks of the Spirit, he calls him the Spirit of what? Truth. And then if you look at 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, it says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Who has ever been referred to as the truth? I'm not just saying truth, but the truth. Well, Jesus said, I am the truth. God is the truth. But here we're told that the Holy Spirit is the truth. He's given this divine attribute that is only true of God. So what, what is the scripture telling us about who the Holy Spirit is? He's a divine being. He has divine attributes that are only true of God. And yet they are true of the Holy Spirit. And then we have what I call interchange. I don't know if it's the right word for this, but you'll see what I mean. Uh, examples would be Luke 1. Luke chapter 1. I hope you don't mind turning all over in your Bible, but if it's a new one, you've got to wear it in somehow. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it's when the angel comes to Mary to let her know that she is chosen to bear the Messiah. And she's been wondering how in the world this can happen. And the angel says in Luke 1.35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's how it's going to happen. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You see what the angel is saying? Basically, the angel is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's the power of the Most High coming upon you. And so, the Holy Spirit is being interchanged with the Most High. And Most High interchanged with Holy Spirit. When one comes upon you, the other comes upon you. You see what I mean by interchange? Maybe another one will help you. Uh, Acts chapter... Five. Acts chapter five. This is the account of what was happening in the new church in Jerusalem. There was a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. People were selling possessions and coming and bringing what they had gotten from those sales um, to help the needy, donating it to help the needy. And this husband and wife team had made a deal with each other, apparently, where they sold something and they brought part of the proceeds, but they claimed it was all of it, which was a lie. And so notice what Peter says to them, starting in verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? 
Peter calls it a lie to the Holy Spirit. But then you go on toward the end. And he says in verse four, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. The verse before, he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. The next verse, he says, you've lied to God. That's what I mean by interchange. What is true about the Holy Spirit is spoken of as true of God. What is true of God is spoken of as true of the Holy Spirit. There's an interchange there. True of one, true of the other. Lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. Lie to God, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says this in verse 16 to the Corinthians. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? So notice he's saying you are God's temple, which means he lives in you. But then right away he says the spirit lives in you. And if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 19, That's where it says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So there's an interchange. Your body, people of God, is the temple of God. He lives in you. But in another place it says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. What's true of God? True of the Holy Spirit. What's true of the Holy Spirit? True of God. That interchange goes on. Um... Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians three. Last couple verses. Starting in verse seventeen. Now the Lord, Jehovah, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord, Jehovah, is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, Jehovah, who is the spirit. Do you see the interchange that's going on there? Jehovah is the spirit. Spirit is Jehovah. And then you can check the last scriptures out yourself there. But in these scriptures, you will find the Bible saying that God is in his people. Okay? You will find in Colossians that says Christ in you. Christ is in his people. And, of course, you'll find scriptures there that say the Holy Spirit is in you. So the Bible says God is in you as the people of God. Jesus is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. What's going on here? Well, again, it seems like the subject that I'm not going to deal with, and that's what we call the Trinity. The one God in three persons. The Father is in me. God is in me. Jesus is in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. 
There's the interchange. What's true of one is true of the other. What's true of one is true of the other. The Holy Spirit is divine. Holy Spirit is divine. He, he has divine attributes that are only true of God. And there are all these interchanges in the way things are said, where what's true of God is true of the Holy Spirit. He's God, friends. We don't understand that whole concept, but the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not one-third of God. The Holy Spirit is not third in rank in the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God. We don't understand that. But that's what the Bible teaches. Because he has divine attributes only true of God. And there are all these interchange statements where what's true of God is true of the Holy Spirit. And vice versa. <clears throat> so the Holy Spirit is a personal being. If nothing else from today, let's start referring to him as he, the way Jesus did. All right? No more it's. No more it. He is a personal being because Jesus refers to him that way. And he has all these personal attributes that the Bible presents. But he's also a divine being because he has divine attributes that only God has. And you have that interchange. So there you have it. He's a personal being. He's a divine being. He is God. That's who he is. The song says, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser person in that Trinity. He's not the lesser person of the three persons in the Godhead. Another song says, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. The Holy Spirit has a role in this Godhead. And his role is being carried out here on this earth. And the primary purpose of that role, like we learned last week, is to glorify Jesus. Because he is a divine being, because he is God, will we think of him the way we think of God? Will we honor him the way we honor God? Will we follow him and trust him the way we follow and trust God? He is God. He is a divine being. And as he carries out his role, will we let him do his work in us and through us that Jesus might be glorified? That's why the Holy Spirit works in us. That's why he works through us. In order to carry out his primary purpose to bring glory to Jesus. Will we let him do that? Will we say, Holy Spirit, I know you're there, you're in me, that's what the Bible says. But will, will you just come on me in a, a fresh way? Work in me in a fresh way. Work in me and work through me 
so that in me Jesus will be glorified and that through me Jesus will be glorified because that's his purpose as a personal being, as a divine being. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that the Spirit of God, your Spirit, is in us. It's hard for us to to comprehend, Lord, but you say that when we trust Jesus, when we come into your salvation, you place your Holy Spirit in us. And Father, he begins to work in us and through us to bring glory to Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, for his presence in us. Father, we ask that you would just, by your Spirit, work in us. And Father, we are willing. Many of us are willing. May your Spirit work in us and through us to bring glory to Jesus. We want the Holy Spirit's purpose to be fulfilled in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.